This is number 13 in the last days of fallen earth. Um, we're in the book of Daniel. There's 12 chapters in Daniel. The historical chapters are one through six. Just to remind you, Daniel's two through seven are written in the Aramaic language, not the Hebrew language. Daniel also has the only chapter written in the Old Testament by a Gentile king. That was Nebuchadnezzar. He had a lesson in pride in chapter four. He wrote the whole chapter and sent, sent it out to the whole world. The second half of the book of Daniel, chapters seven through 12, are all visions and dreams. They're all prophetic. Chapter eight is another vision. It's of the ram and the goat. And just to remind you, these chapters are not in chronological order. Chapter eight occurs before the fall of Babylon, which happens in chapter five. So this, this, this vision that we're reading about today happened before Daniel chapter five. Also the same with his vision in chapter seven. It happened before chapter five. And so Daniel 8, one, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. This vision has similar content to Nebuchadnezzar's dream that Daniel interpreted in chapter two and Daniel chapter seven, the vision that he had. Remember the vision of the lion with the eagle's wings that represented the nation of Babylon or the bear that had three ribs in its mouth which represented the Persian empire and then the leopard which had four wings and four heads which represented the Grecian empire. This is all in chapter seven. And then what Daniel describes as a dreadful, terrible fourth beast, which represented the Roman Empire. The fourth beast had 10 horns, and it was so dreadful, Daniel couldn't even explain what this beast looked like. He couldn't write about it. Then you get an 11th little horn to pop up on, on that fourth beast. Um, the 10 horns, we believe, represent, uh, if not the European Union, uh, a type of revised European Union. I think it all points to that when you really look into what the European Union wants to do, what their goals are. The little horn, the 11th horn that comes up represented the Antichrist. And we had images of all those then we went into detail. Also Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the big statue in chapter two. Oh, it's, it's, it's just all a coincidence. Um, that it just happens to be prophetic. All these empires are in order in chapter seven and in two, chapter two from the Babylonians. Then you have the Persians defeating the Babylonians. Then Alexander Great, Great and the Greek defeat the Persians. Rome eventually takes care of Greece. And I've read about that, all about that in secular books. It took place over time. Then you have the 10 kingdoms which have not come to complete fruition, the only empire that was not dreamed about or in Daniel's uh, interpretation in Nebuchadnezzar's dream uh, has not come to fruition. All those prophecies, visions, thousands of years in advance, to, uh, ranging to hundreds of years in advance, it's, it's just a big coincidence that the order of the empires in succession that were prophesied about in Daniel just happens to line up perfectly with history. Just happens to. All prophesied or dreams interpreted in advance 
Daniel just got lucky. He got really lucky. Daniel 8, 2, I saw in a vision and it can't, I'm being sarcastic, but, but a lot of, the, the book is so accurate that people don't believe, they believe it was written after the fact. They can't believe that something could be prophesied this accurately. Daniel 8, 2, I saw in a vision it came to pass when I saw that it was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam, I saw in a vision and I was at the river of Alay. The Shushan Palace is about 230 miles east of Babylon. Shushan had a famous palace built by Darius I. Remember, Darius, those Persian titles of those kings is, is a title, it's not a name. The palace in this verse was later enlarged by Xerxes, which may be a familiar name to some of you, and this was also the home of Queen Esther, all right? Queen Esther in the book of Esther, this Shushan palace. This is also the city where Nehemiah, the prophet Nehemiah, resided, as you can see in Nehemiah 1.1. So Daniel 8.3, then I lifted up my eyes. I saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram, which had two horns. The two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. I think this sounds familiar to me. Remember Daniel 7, 5. It's talking about that bear. It raised itself up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth. So we've got a ram who's got one horn higher than the other. And we had the bear lifting itself up from one side. And remember the way that we described that. So you've got different examples for the same empire. The bear and the ram both represent the Persian Empire. And you've got two horns, one higher than the other. The bear lifting up on one side first. This all depicts that it was the Medio Persian Empire, a single empire made up of two parts. And the one that ended up being the dominant, the Persian side, came up second. The Medes came up first. The way these two empires were formed happened with Cyrus of Shan in 550 BC defeated Astilages and brought the, the, the Medes under control. He captured the Median capital and I added the title King of the Medes to his titles. And from that point, the Medes were given high positions of responsibility in his government. Isaiah and Jeremiah in their Old Testament books write about the Medes taking part in the capture of Babylon. The first ruler was, that was installed was Darius the Mede. Everyone knows who was in charge. It was Cyrus the Great on the Persian side. That's why we just read, you have one horn that's higher than the other. The Persians eventually rose to dominate the Median side. That's how you get the bear lifting up on one side. First, Daniel 8, 4, I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will. So the, 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 and he became great. So the ram represents Persia, just like the bear did in the last chapter. So the Persian king, you can see that God, he shares in, in Daniel 2, 7, and 8. He shares the same type of thing, but he, he gives us more information each time with each vision 
or dream. 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 The Persian king, when he was riding at the head of his army, would wear the head of a ram instead of a crown. Remember this dream or vision. It's debated which it was. Daniel had during the Babylonian Empire. This was, remember, this whole chapter starts in the reign of Belshazzar. Belshazzar is the Babylonian co-regent. So none of this had happened. This vision that he was seeing or the dream that he was dreaming at that time, it, it's, it's prophetic. And they have also found Persian coins. On those coins is a king wearing a ram's head of gold. So the ram pushing westward, this phrase, the ram pushing westward, refers to the Persians taking Babylon, which at that point in time, uh, it was prophetic. The ram pushing northward refers to the Persians taking Lydia, which was a large nation at that time. The phrase pushing southward refers to the Persians conquering Egypt. These were the Persians' three big victories, Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon. Just, just a reminder now, Nebuchadnezzar's dream that Daniel interpreted, the Medo-Persian Empire was represented on that statue as the breast of arms and silver. The breast and arms of silver. Uh, if we could put that statue up, I know you've seen it a couple times, but you're really going to get this. You're going to have this. You're going to have this in your head by the end of this, you would have heard this so many times. Oh, yes, I know. The head of gold is the Babylon. And then the breast and arms is silver. Oh, that is the Persians. And then the next thing down, the brass uh, girdle there is the Greeks. And the legs are the Romans. And the feet and toes of iron and clay are the coming 10 kingdoms, all right, of the European Union that we'll see. But if we could get an image, show the image of the bear now that we saw in chapter 7. Remember, he has three ribs in his mouth representing uh, Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon. And so now we have a second player here in the vision of Daniel in 8.5. And I was considering, behold, a he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth. And he did not touch the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. The goat in this vision represents the rise of the Grecian Empire and Alexander the Great. It's talking about him specifically, which we'll see. And Nebuchadnezzar, you know, hundred, he wasn't even born yet. Nebuchadnezzar's dream, back in chapter two, the Greeks are represented by the belly and thighs of brass. Could we show you the statue of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that Daniel interpreted? That belly and thighs of brass, that, that was Daniel. Then the legs of iron, or that was the Greeks, and the legs of iron were the Romans, okay? And so... That was in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 7, the Grecian Empire represented in Daniel's vision as a leopard with four wings and four heads. If we could show that leopard. A lot, a lot of scholars believe that this leopard um, uh, is a demon that uh, he, he's, he made Alexander what he was. Alexander could do things no other battle commander could do. Um, and he was very... Uh, politically savvy, okay? And um, a lot of people believe by the description of the leopard in Revelation, because the leopard comes back, he assists the Antichrist. He has a wound, though, all right? And they think that a lot of scholars believe, I, we don't know, we'll find out when we get in heaven, that this is the same demon who is currently in the pit of hell. 
that will assist the Antichrist, the same one that assisted Alexander the Great. And so just quickly reminding you, the four heads represent the four generals that the Grecian Empire went to. They divided it up among themselves when Alexander died at the young age of 32. And as you can see, the four wings of the leopard represent the speed of the Greeks and Alexander, which they took over the world. It's interesting looking at Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which Daniel interpreted, and Daniel's vision, and Daniel 7, and you look at this vision, these are all ahead of time. These are all prophesied or predicted before they even happen. And that's what, why some scholars believe in the, the book of Daniel had to have been written by some, someone later. It's, it's, just too, it's just too perfect what was prophesied. I explained to you that the Greek Septuagint, number of years, or a number of sermons ago, was translated many, many, many years, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. In other words, the Old Testament was in circulation around the world in the Greek language, okay? And it's been proven that this book, in order to be written by, by archaeology finds, archaeological finds, but the fact that there was a Greek Septuagint had to be written by an eyewitness, someone who was there. The Greeks, Alexander the Great, invaded Persia 200 years after this prophecy. The, the male goat was actually an emblem used by the Greek empire. The phrase in verse five, and touch not the ground, is speaking of the swiftness, in essence, in which the Greeks took over the world. And remember the Bible, in the Bible, a horn represents strength. Remember the ram had two horns, representing the Medes and the Persians. The notable horn spoken of in verse five represents Alexander the Great himself. Alexander the Great is a major player, as we can see the Bible is talking about him, just to touch on him quickly. At the age of 20, he received the mantle of his father. His father's name was Philip of Macedon, and he was a bad dude in his own right, as far as skills of making war. He was a conqueror. By the time Alexander was 26, he had conquered the Persian Empire and was considered unbeatable. Alexander was extremely intelligent, ruthless at times, probably the greatest war or battle tactician that's ever lived. By the age of 30, Alexander's empire stretched from Greece to India. He had all of the Middle East. By the age of 32, he died. One of the stories about Alexander the Great that was documented was at age 29, he fell on his bed crying because there were no more worlds left to conquer. Oh, I'm sorry, Alexander. Alexander's, the Greek's mother name was Olympias. She was the seventh wife of the king of Macedon. Olympias herself was very ruthless, strategic, manipulative woman. Happy Mother's Day. And many scholars, now we'll get to that, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. I'm playing around. Many scholars believe she was behind the assassination of King Philip to secure the crown for her son, Alexander. And she ins insisted that Alexander was conceived by her having intercourse with a snake who I would believe was one of their gods. And based on the culture, 
that they were subject to. It was a shrewd PR move that she did this because in essence, she was saying he was half a God and that's what the population believed about him. They believed he was part God. Daniel 8, 6, he came to the, and, and, and he came to the rams, talking about the goat, that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river and ran unto him in the fury of his power. So the phrase in verse six, the fury of his power, portrays the speed of the Greeks' victories, the ferociousness in which they did it, plus the military strategy that completely overwhelmed the much, much, much larger forces of the Medes and the Persians. Uh, And history all lines up with this. In May 334 BC, Alexander crossed into Persia with 35,000 troops. And where he first met and defeated a much larger army. And just think, this has already been told by the Bible. This was already out there. This had already been prophesied. And it was three big battles. The battle of Issus, I-S-I-S, takes place in November of 334. And then you had about a year and a half later, or excuse me, the first, you had the first battle, then the second battle was the battle of Issus which the Persian king Darius runs away in the middle of the battle, all right? And again, they greatly, greatly outnumbered the Greeks by hundreds of thousands of men. October 30, 31, the Persians were completely broken as as an army at a place called Gagamela, and, and that took place near Nineveh. And these are the three major battles that took place, and you can all get that from just reading recorded secular history. Daniel 8, 7, I saw him close, close unto the ram, and he was moved with color against him. This is the goat. And he smote the ram, break his two horns. There was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped on him. And there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. You have this goat, which represents Greece, defeating the ram. In the natural, a goat could not defeat a ram. A ram is much bigger than a goat. Scholars estimate the Persian army was up to one million, one million to two and a half million men. Alexander the Great never had over 35,000 men. So the word in, the, in, the, in verse seven, color, is believed to mean that Alexander had a bitterness towards the Persians. His hatred, hatred was fueled by the invasion of Xerxes. The Persian general who had invaded Greece and his country some years before. The Persians trounced through Macedonia, Alexander's land. They were not able to conquer all of Greece. But it was documented in history that the Persians were extremely cruel to the Greek population. They burned Athens, burned their temples to the ground. Uh, anyone that was left, the whole population Greek population had to flee to a little island called Salamis, and they defeated their, their navy. The, the Greeks defeated their, the Persian navy, but, but it's known that the Greeks hated the Persians because of their treatment of the Greeks, and that was avenged by Alexander the Great. The phrase, there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped on him, refers to the fact that there was no mercy shown by Alexander to the Medes and the Persians. Verse Daniel 8, 8, therefore the goat waxed very great, 
When he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones towards the four winds of heaven. This is Alexander dying suddenly at age 32, and his empire was split out to his four generals into four parts. This is funny how this, it's wild how this all lines up with history that that's what the phrase that's prophesying, and for it came up four notable ones towards the four winds of heaven is referring to those four generals. Alexander had two tutors. One of them was Aristotle, right? And there's a story when Alexander was on his deathbed. They said, to who, to who does the empire go? Who do you want to succeed you? He said, give it to the strong. So the four of his most prominent generals divide up the empire. Those four generals were Ptolemy, Cassander, Lysicamus, and Seleucus. And that's where we get the phrase in verse 8, the great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable ones, speaking of four other horns. So imagine this, over 200 years before it ever happens, it's breaking out the four generals that take Alexander's place, split his empire into four different large areas, also documented in history. Daniel 7, 6, after this I behold lo another like a leopard which had upon on the back of its four wings of a fowl. The beast also had four heads, right? If we could look at that leopard one more time. The four heads are representing those four generals, right? That was Daniel 7. See how you had four heads given to the leopard, which represents the four heads. Oh, it's all a coincidence, right? Of the four guys that I mentioned, Cassander married Alexander's sister, one of, one of Alexander's generals. He takes over Macedonia and Greece. Lysicamus, who actually was one of Alexander's other tutor, but also a general, takes over Thrace, Bithynia, and Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey, or part of it. But the two most formidable of those four generals are, put, are Ptolemy and Seleucus. Seleucus was one of Philip's top generals. That was his, Alexander's dad. Alexander inherited him. He's only about 10 years older than Alexander. So Seleucus takes Syria, all the lands to the east, all the way to India. Ptolemy was a boyhood friend of Alexander, a Macedonian noble, one of his generals. Takes over Egypt, North Africa, parts of Asia Minor, Arabia. So Seleucus and Ptolemy are going to be the, the big players. That really is prophesied about them essentially fighting each other over what is now modern-day Israel through the book of Daniel. Daniel prophesies all this history. If we could show the map of this breakout of what these guys had after Alexander's empire was divided up, I have a map I want to show you. You should be able to see it online. But you can see Ptolemy to the south, right? That's Egypt, right? You see Seleucus, what he has... But notice, just north, just south of Lebanon, there you have Israel, okay? And so you can see what these four generals split. And you can see the, see the map. Um, and this is how you get Daniel prophesying about all these guys going to war. 
How they do it is because it takes place in the nation of Israel. Seleucus and Ptolemy, they go to war, their kids go to war, their grandchildren go to war, and their great-grandchildren go to war because these guys wound up with dynasties. They were able to hold on. They, go, and they went to land to war in the, in the land that God gave the Jews. And you will see that when, Dan, when we get to Daniel 11, verses 5 through 35, of a half a do, dozen dynasties between Ptolemy and Seleucus, their children, grandchildren, they go at it over four centuries. And this is what we call the silent years in the Bible. The time between the New and the Old Testament. But the Bible is not silent on those four centuries. They are prophesied about in Daniel 11, 5 through 35. Everything that happens, it says in Daniel 11, 5 through 35, in between the Old and the New Testament. Okay, so the Bible's not silent on the silent years. And now, let me tell you something. This is where it gets interesting. Uh, I'm gonna try to give you all opinions here. You're really gonna understand this chapter by the time we're done, okay? You're really gonna get it. One opinion is about, we're about to read in verses nine through 14 of Daniel eight. People think this is talking about the Antichrist. They think it's the same little horn that comes up out of the 10 kingdoms that we read about in Daniel 7. But this is not. I do not believe it's not. This is a little horn that comes out of the four generals that we've been talking about. This is before Rome is really in the picture. And we're about to read that this event took 2,300 days. So this is not the three and a half year tribulation the abomination of desolation that takes place by the Antichrist and the rebuilt temple, the tribulation temple, it's not the same thing, in my opinion. And a lot of people, their opinion, and they know a lot more about it than I do, right? 2,300 days is not three and a half years. If we can pull up verses nine through 14 of Daniel 8. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, one of the four horns, right? Which waxed great toward the south, toward the east, toward the, the pleasant land, verse 10. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts. And of the stars to the ground, that's talking about the Jewish people, and it stamped on them. Next verse. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Verse 12. And a host, an army was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. And it cast down the truth to the ground and it practiced and prospered. Then I heard one, one saint speaking and another saint said unto a certain saint, which spake, how long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation? to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot. One saint's asking another saint, how long is this gonna happen? Is the temple gonna be desolated by, by this guy? All right, next verse. He said unto me, 2,300 days. Then the sanctuary will be cleansed, okay? Now remember, Seleucus was one of the generals in Alexander that empire to the north of the temple. 
And this is, we're talking about, I believe that verses 9 through 14 is talking about a Syrian king, and many other people do too, named Antiochus Epiphanes, okay? He was in the Seleucid dynasty. He was part of that, uh, you know, Seleucid, Seleucus, it was the original one. There were, he was like eight down, eight, eight, you go eight kings down. This guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, shows up. He called himself Epiphanes. That means the illustrious one. He was really Antiochus IV, okay? And he was, he was out of the Seleucid dynasty. He was an evil guy. He was a Syrian king. Now, he's a type of the Antichrist that Daniel sees in his vision. He's a picture of the Antichrist. But I don't believe he is. This is not the Antichrist, what Daniel is prophesying about right here in verses 9 through 14, because of the 2,300 days. Doesn't match up with any other number. Any other number that Daniel gives? Any of the numbers in Revelation? The first abomination of desolation of the temple occurred in December 25th, 167 BC. On that day, Antiochus Epiphanes, a Seleucid king, who was king from 175 to 164 BC, ordered that an altar to either Zeus or Jupiter be built on top of the altar in the Jerusalem temple. Antiochus Epiphanes then proceeded to offer the flesh of a pig to Zeus in the temple of Jerusalem. This is just one of the ways he desolated the temple in 167 BC. The king outlawed Judaism. He outlawed them, outlawed them circumcising their male children. When they found a circumcised baby, they killed it, made the mother hang it around her neck and walk around with the dead baby. This guy was a bad, bad guy. This was a type, a picture, a shadow of the coming Antichrist. But a lot of scholars still believe, oh, no, this is not him. But I want to show you why it is, why it's Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV. Um, Daniel chapter 8, verses 9 through 14 is talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, who is a shadow of the Antichrist. Verse 14, unto 2,300 days it took for the sanctuary to be cleansed. Well, I believe that when Jesus lands on the Mount of Olives, it causes an earthquake. We talk about this in the final hour podcast, and there, it actually splits that mountain. And I think the, the temple that the Antichrist desolates falls, falls in because it looks like if you line that mountain where, where that split is, he lands, whoom, like a big valley is created from this earthquake. And I, I think that rebuilt temple falls right in there. And Jesus just rebuilds a whole brand new one. Okay? All right? We'll see what happens, won't we? Because we'll be up there. We'll be up there eating Doritos, tacos, and Portillo's hot dogs. So again, this, the, you know, the, 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 what is that called? The, uh, the marriage, you know, it's a seven-year party after the rapture, okay? And so again, this is talking about an event that takes place for 2,300 days. This is not the abomination of desolation that takes place by the coming of the Antichrist and the rebuilt Jerusalem temple, the tribulation temple that happens three and a half years after the Antichrist comes into power, not 2,300 days. Still, someone take, 
He, he's taking away the sacrifices. The Antichrist will take away the sacrifices. They will start the sacrifices on, in that rebuilt temple. The Jews will. And actually, you can find uh, articles where they are secretly sacrificing already. On the temple. And yes, they're gonna, can you imagine the animal rights people when that goes public? What's going to happen? But this guy still desolates the temple like the Antichrist does. I'm going to quote you out of the Messianic Bible Study Guide. It is also known from history as the abomination of desolation. The erection of the statue of Jupiter was done on the 25th day of the month of Kislev in 168 B.C. The sanctuary was cleansed on the 25th day of Kislev in 165 B.C. So the entire duration of 2,300 days began on September 9th, 171 B.C., until the rededication of the temple, December 25th, 165 B.C. Prophecy was literally fulfilled 2,300 days later. All right, so the Jews believe it was desolated for 2,300 days, and it's also written into history. So Daniel was seeing a vision of this Seleucid king desolating the temple and even prophesied the number of days that it went down, at least according to the Messianic Bible Study Guide. Another name for the Antiochus I've said is Antiochus IV, if you wanted to Google him. So all that's going on here is Antiochus IV, the Antiochus Epiphanes, the illustrious one, is setting the stage for the Bible to give us some insights on the final world leader, the end-time Antichrist. Antiochus IV was the eighth king in the Seleucid dynasty. As I said, Antiochus IV came into power 175 BC, where he immediately invaded Egypt. Well, who's down in Egypt? Ptolemy, right? And he has to go through Israel to get there, all right? All this to say, this is not talking about the Antichrist abomination of desolation. Remember, Antiochus Epiphanes was two centuries before Jesus, all right? Listen to the words of Jesus. Mark 13, 14 through 23. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand. And that's not an ad. He said, you need to understand this now. As you're reading this, this is what Jesus said. Let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein, or take anything out of the house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. Woe to them, don't go back for your clothes, and woe to them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. And I pray that your flight, pray you, you need to start praying now that you don't have to do this in the middle of winter. Verse 19, for in those days shall be affliction. Such was not from the beginning of creation, which God created unto this time. Neither shall be ever again. Except the Lord has shortened those days. No flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he has shortened the days. Then if any man shall say to you, lo, here is the Christ, or lo, he is there, lo, believe him not. Many scholars believe that the Jews are gonna actually think the Antichrist is, Jesus, is, is the coming of Jesus. Because we haven't seen anyone out there saying, hey, that might be Jesus. That's not going on right now, right? 
And many scholars believe the Antichrist will have Jewish blood, right? Because they're not going to believe anyone's the Christ unless he's a Jew. I'm just telling you the opinions out there, right? Verse 22. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and, shall, and they're going to do signs and wonders to seduce. And if it were possible, even the Jews. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. Jesus is talking about the future event. Thousands of years later, after Antiochus IV desolated the temple, he's talking about this is coming. He's talking about the abomination of desolation that the Antichrist commits. And we talk about it a lot, this rebuilt temple in the tribulation and how that works in the final hour podcast. Yes, let's, we're going to show you the final hour podcast slide once again. Maybe one or two of you will watch it. Okay? Because we, we go into this stuff, we go into real detail. You ever heard of the red heifer? They have to have a red heifer to cleanse that temple. Well, the Temple Institute already has a red heifer. The problem is it has 10 black hairs on it. It's completely red. So they're watching this heifer to see, because it cannot have more than two black hairs, to see if those, those hairs change color. But they have to have a red heifer, according to Leviticus, to cleanse the temple. This stuff, they're getting ready for this stuff. They are ready, all right? And so, did they ever show that slide for you? Final hour? Yeah, I didn't see anyone writing anything down, so. You must, you must all be subscribers, thank you. And so when Daniel talks about the Antichrist setting up the abomination of desolation, Paul talks about it too. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3 and 4. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away. First, and that man of sin, the Antichrist, the son of perdition, all right, be revealed. Who, he, what does he do? He opposes, exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he is, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Paul talks about it too. And this happens in the rebuilt temple, the tribulation temple that I believe is gonna be built in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Maybe it'll start. Maybe we'll get to see a little bit of that. But I don't think so. I think it's gonna happen right after the rapture. We'll see. And so after three and a half years into the tribulation, the Antichrist is gonna kill the two witnesses. I believe the two witnesses are gonna, in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, are gonna protect the building of the temple. Because it says anyone that tries to kill them these guys, probably Elijah and Enoch, it says anyone that tries to kill them, they kill them with fire coming from their mouths. This would be a very violent time. You don't want to be here. You want to be up there eating hot dogs with Jim Hammond <laughs> or oysters or whatever it is that you like, right? Okay, the book of Daniel refers to the abomination of desolation four times. This is important because a lot of people get confused when they're reading the book of Daniel. Two of the four references to the abomination of desolation in Daniel 8, what we're talking about today, and one more in Daniel 11, are talking about Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV, Daniel 9, 
in Daniel 12 also talk about an abomination of desolation in the Jewish temple. That is referring to the Antichrist, right? So, I mean, you, you want to really know the Bible, right? This is what it says, Daniel 8, 15 and 16. It came to pass when I, even I, Daniel. See, I always thought that was the Antichrist for myself. I always thought that. But now I don't think that. After really studying about it hard, and it came to pass when I, even Daniel, had seen the vision, sought for the meaning, then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man, and heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Let's see what Gabriel the angel says. Verse 17, he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid, fell on my face, He said unto me, understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Notice this is the real point. The point of the vision is not just the ram and the goat. The purpose of the vision is insight into Antiochus IV and the coming Antichrist, as we'll we'll see. Verse 18, now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground. But he touched me and set me upright. This term in the Hebrew, set me upright, does not necessarily mean he sat him up. It could mean he gave him comprehension or understanding. Verse 19, and he said, behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed, the end shall be. We just read, he's talking about eschatology. For at the time, the end shall be. Verses 20 and 21, the ram which thou sawest having two horns are kings of Media and Persia. The rough goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn is, that is between the eyes is the first king. And I have not seen a scholar yet that does not believe this, this great horn was Alexander the Great. Verse 22, now that being broken, whereas the four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And that's exactly what we've talked about, the four generals. Verse 23, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors come to the full, a king of fierce countenance, that switches gears here, and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. There's a shifting in years here. And I believe he's coming to this, he switches to this time. Because of the words, the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressions are come to their full, seems to be saying when sin comes to a completeness. When it can't get any worse, as in the days of Noah. A king of fierce countenance. That phrase is one of 33 titles that is used for the Antichrist in the Old Testament. There are 33 names for the Antichrist in the Old Testament. and 13 names for the Antichrist in the New Testament. Daniel 8, 24, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully, which means awesomely. Doesn't mean it's wonderful. It means it's terrible, okay? And shall prosper, practice, he shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And so, and it says his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. So that means someone gives him their power. Revelation 13, four, they fell down, paid homage to the dragon because he had bestowed on the beast, that's the Antichrist, all his dominion and authority. They also praised and worshiped the Antichrist 
Praise you Antichrist. Don't, don't ever get into that, okay? If you're left behind. All right. Who's a match for the Antichrist, they say? Who can make war against him? Well, that dragon that gave him the power, okay, that we just read, you can see who it is. Revelation 12, 9. The huge dragon was cast down and out. That age-old serpent who was called the devil and Satan. So the dragon is Satan that gives him the power. Daniel 8, 25. And through his policies, I'm talking about the Antichrist, also should he cause craft to prosper in his hand. Interesting phrase. And he shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace he shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. But he shall be broken without hand. Through his policy, also he shall cause to craft to prosper in his hand. It's talking about the Antichrist. Craft can mean cunning. But it's saying everything he does prospers, sets his hand to. By peace he destroys many. In the first seven years, in the beginning of the tribulation, the first three and a half years, the Antichrist is not a military leader. He's a peacemaker. It's one of the things that, that brings the world security, right? To vote him in or whatever they do. He's able to, everything he touches just causes peace. And we know from other passages, he's going to be a peacemaker. He's going to be a financial specialist. The phrase in verse 25, he shall also stand upon up against the prince of princes while he's the Antichrist. The Antichrist in the Greek means in place of Christ. He's not going to hide the fact that he's against Jesus Christ. And the phrase, he shall be broken without hand, means he will be broken supernaturally. So here in Daniel 8, 8 verses 23 through 25, matches up with Revelation, the characteristics. Remember the earlier verses where Antiochus IV was a type of the Antichrist, a lot of scholars believe. It says, just going quickly over these phrases, in verse, reading verse 25, he'll cause craft to prosper in his hand. Well, Revelation says that no one will be able to buy or sell except by the mark. It's gonna be on the hand. Very similar phrase here. He will magnify himself in his heart. It says he's given, speak, given power to speak blasphemies for 42 months. We just read he'll stand up against the prince of princes. Revelation 13, 6, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. He will achieve great power by subduing others. He'll also achieve great power by pro providing a false sense of security through that peace. He'll be intelligent and persuasive. It says in verse 24, He'll be controlled by another, be con completely controlled by Satan, 100% control. It says in verse 25, his rule will be terminated by divine judgment, which is fully backed up in Revelation. We learn more about the Antichrist in Daniel 9, which we do next week. And so, and we also learn more about him in chapter 11. Daniel 26, 8, 26, and 27. The vision of the evening and the morning, which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for a number of days. Afterward, I rose up, did the king's business. I was astonished at the vision, but did not understand it. Did not understand it. And so, that's Daniel chapter 8.
Daniel chapter 8, if we could uh, hand, start handing out communion, we're going to take communion today. You're going to get healed today, right, through the bread, right? It, now, now, when I take communion, it's, it's, it's communing with God. It's, 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 not, a, it's not an act of tradition. It's, that's not what he created it for. It's, it's, think about it. It's a covenant. Remember, remember Jesus said, he's talking about the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant. Cut my blood. In other words, it's a covenant with the ancient of days as Jesus as your intermediary. And it, but it's cut in Jesus' blood. It's almost like if you, you were to cut your hand and make a blood covenant with God. But you know what? You don't bleed. Jesus took your place. And God looks at you like, you, you can go ahead and pass that out. God looks at you like you were crucified with him. Died with him. Buried with him. God looks at it like you, you did the work for this covenant. Like you did the work. So you take it like that. You, you look at it like that. If we could put the, if we could put the sculpture up. This is not something that we, you don't like use this as, you, you, this is just a picture of, it's the most realistic picture of what happened to Jesus Christ that I could find. And it's not even re completely realistic because it said in Psalms, he could see his bones. He could look down and see his bones from the scourging that ripped through his body. His face was, it was marred more than beyond any man. In other words, he was unrecognizable. And if you think about it, you think about it, 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 it it's a place of authority. Why wouldn't this be a place for you to take your authority? Remember it says uh, that, he, that we're seated with him in heavenly places? Remember that? Out of your heavenly ministry, he views you you're, like you're at the right hand of God. We, we had someone right into the podcast that said, what about when Daniel was praying his prayers and the demons were blocking his prayers, a strong demon. So God had to send a warrior angel to defeat that demon so, so his prayers could get, and, that, and the angels are explaining, that's why it took so long for you to get your prayers answered. That doesn't happen now. You're in heavenly places. You're right there. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Daniel didn't have that. Daniel wasn't viewed by God as being right here. And I read a book that when you take your authority, you should, you should come from that place out of your heavenly ministry today. Chip Brim says, check in out of your heavenly ministry today. So when I take communion every day, I do it. I, I use it as my authority. What about the Syrophoenician woman? With that had the possessed son. Okay, not, he was possessed. She's like, heal my son, right? And he said, and he, he tried to tell her, you're not really Jewish. You know, that's more or less what Jesus was saying, is you're not really Jewish, and you're portraying yourself like you're, you're Jewish. And she said, even the puppies get the crumbs. And he called healing children's bread. Well, 
that wasn't in that case physical healing. That was a demon that needed to be exercised. Demons congregate in places of tragedy where there's a tragedy. Sometimes they do. Like a murder, something like that. Every single time I've walked into somewhere like that, there was a house that, that, that we used to hunt out of where this guy's child had two children. One had hung himself in the basement, and then the mother, the wife, fell down the stairs and broke her neck. Two people had died in this basement. And we used to, we used to hunt, and it was, it was weird. I mean, you had chandeliers falling on people, and one time, my brother took communion in that place, silent ever since, saying it vanquishes, because what is communion doing? You're, pro you're, you're proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So why can't you do that in taking your authority in your own life? So I'm trying to set all this up by saying, oftentimes I take authority during communion. You should take authority every day. Billy Brim, I spent 13 hours with her in Israel, and I thought I was going to get a bunch of revelation and end time stuff and, and Daniel stuff. It was every day. She pounded into me. You better take your authority. You better take your authority at this time. You better use your authority. And the more you use your authority, the stronger it gets. You have to exercise your faith like you would exercise a muscle. So let's, are you ready? So he took the bread. Now remember, right here, look, look, look at this. He carried cancer. He carried blocked valves, blocked arteries, low-functioning kidneys, kidney disease, diabetes, emphysema, lymphoma, back problems, any problems, any arthritis. Carried it. Anything he can put on you was on him. Not just all your sins. It was all on him that day. And so we're supposed to receive it through communion. We're supposed to receive it through communion. So he, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take, eat. This is my body. It was broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We're Shiva, Lord. Every stripe that ripped through your body makes us stronger and stronger. As we discern your broken body, we discern the body of Christ today. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant cut in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. And on the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ, our blood covenant with the ancient of days, with Jesus as our intermediary, we take authority over the principalities and the powers the rulers of the darkness of this world, the spiritual wickedness in high places assigned to our lives, our bodies, our relationships, our families, assigned to our joy, peace, happiness, health, communion with you, God. And we command those principalities from our seat of authority in the heavenlies, out of our heavenly ministry today, that you desist in your maneuvers. Against every person in this building, every person watching online, against our mind, wills, emotions, decisions, reactions, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant cut in my blood. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Touch them this week, Lord. Touch them this week. Make your face shine upon them. Give them super abounding grace. Even for their mistakes, give them grace. Favor they don't deserve. Favor I don't deserve. And the gift of righteousness. That they would walk in that gift this week. That they would know you see them as perfect. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.